Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building. We're going to talk about the New York Knicks and the Milwaukee Bucks to start this show. Both of those teams are on really, really fun win streaks right now. The Knicks particularly are in a really interesting space where their offense is absolutely incredible and I love watching them play. Then we're going to move to the Milwaukee Bucks and talk about their, I believe they're on a 14-game win streak, right, Mark? It's up there, man. They've been winning everything, it feels like. And Giannis has been in and out, obviously. It's been a really, really incredible run for them where it's going to be a lot of flowers for Drew Holiday during that segment. Next, we're going to talk about Quinn Snyder going to the Atlanta Hawks, how he can kind of find a way to enliven that scenario, how to potentially build with them long-term. Finally, on the NBA side, we are going to talk about the Houston Rockets. It's Houston Rockets check-in time. I feel like we check in with this team once every 20 to 25 games, and I get very sad and mope around for 20 minutes because I want this team to be good. I really enjoy a lot of the players on them, and I really am incredibly disappointed with the way they are coached. Finally, on the NBA draft side, we're going to talk about Derek Lively and his emergence into, in my opinion, uh, everything that we thought he would be as a defensive player coming into this season. And I hope Mark agrees with that. Mark, what's going on, buddy? Oh, man, I'm excited to be here. Um I, the necessary steam blow off. It's been a long day. It's been a good day, but it's been a long day. I had a, uh, so I had, you know, as it, as it goes with features and talking to people in the NBA, um, you potentially are getting a call at this time. And then it happens two hours beforehand when you're totally not ready for it. So my story today was a, I was telling you before we got on here, Moose has just been an absolute demon today. Like he always wanted to do is play ball, which love him. He's awesome. But I got, I got done working out. My Uber Eats got here, and there's like obviously sour cream with it, right? Because I got I got a breakfast omelet and sour cream. Um, so as soon as I am opening up the sour cream to put on my omelet, uh, Moose yelps. I drop the sour cream on myself, and it's not just like a little bit; it's like the entire thing goes all over my shorts. Yeah. Um, the chair that I'm sitting on breaks, and I fall off and hit my back. And then my phone starts going off because this NBA assistant's calling me. So it's like, it was, and that all happens within like 15 seconds. And I was just like, God, fucking damn it, man. But um, it's been a good day. Um, had a press conference I had to go to too. So it's been like, I've been all over the place, but 
Um, I'm excited to be here and talk basketball. How's everything on your end, Sam? Everything's good on my end. I mean, I, I just feel like we need to hear more about uh, this breakfast burrito, given your eclectic food taste. It was good. It was, uh, it was chili chorizo burrito from uh, First Watch. I'm sorry. How did you pronounce that word? Chili chorizo. Chorizo, whatever. You know, same there thing. There we go. <laughs> I thought you said chiorzo. I was like, wait, no, what, now? what is this? <laughs> no, it was it was good. I, that's one of my regulars. I like um, – I switch stuff up a lot, but I get that like every third or fourth order. I Uber Eats a lot lately. So I've been just like so busy and all over the place. I haven't had time to actually cook anything. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You know the vibe. No, it's, it's hard. It's very, very hard. Uh, we have our Fritz 901 in the comments saying that Mark's bad food takes continue. Sour cream is bad. I disagree with this. This is just a bad take. Sour cream is a good attitude. Like, I, yeah, I don't sour love sour cream, cream, but like, I think it can be good on things. So bad. Yeah. Take, you put, you put a little lime in the sour cream, actually, and it's just like full scale delicious. Thins it out just that little bit, and it's just absolutely delicious. Okay. Let's talk about the New York Knicks, an incredibly fun team that I thoroughly enjoy watching. And I feel like that is the first time you can say that in quite a while. And I, I've been on this New York Knicks bandwagon for probably. 35, 40 games at this point. I feel like we did a podcast probably two months ago talking about this great New York Knicks team, the great vibes with the New York Knicks. Since Josh Hart has gotten there, since they acquired him for a first round pick, the vibes have only continued, haven't they, Mark? Like this team is just super fun. Yeah, it's been awesome. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, I was talking about this with some people yesterday. This Knicks team is better than the team two years ago. Better depth. Um, obviously like, and that's, well, even noting RJ really just hasn't found his way yet this year. Like it's been batterish of late, but, um, but then again, like back in like the last two weeks, not so much, but it's point being Brunson's brought an entirely new dynamic. They didn't have two years ago. Julius Randle's been really good this year. Um, it's hard not to enjoy what this team's doing, especially with how they play. Like they just kind of play balls to the wall, get every offensive rebound and scrap on defense. Like that's, it's my kind of team. I enjoy it. So the Knicks are in a space where over the last 11 games where they're nine and two, they're fourth in offense with a 120 offensive rating, seventh in defense with at 111, top five in defensive rebounding rate, top eight in offensive rebounding rate, top eight in turnover rate. Basically, they win the possession battle, it feels like, every game. They keep control of the ball. They rebound the hell out of the ball. And then that helps to make up for what can be at times a somewhat, I don't even know if I want to say questionable shot profile, but it's a lot of Julius Randle contested threes. It's a lot of, you know, Jalen Brunson push shots. There's some Josh Hart push shots in there. Now RJ Barrett, obviously is going to take a lot of contested push shots, shots at the rim, things like that. But the fact that they win the possession battle, I think is the biggest thing that they do. Right. That's where this entire thing starts. It starts with that energy, that activity that you brought up. And I think we're really, really smart to bring up over the course of this six game win streak, though, the offensive rating has exploded. They have a 124 offensive rating. That's the best in the NBA over the course of these six games. And it just feels like 
they just play so hard. And like Julius Randle's obviously on this incredible shooting run right now that uh, his overall run over the past 40 games even has been incredible. But even right now, I mean, that Wizards game over the weekend, I went over to my buddy Evan's house, who is a huge Knicks fan. And we just watched that game and we were just like losing our minds watching Randall go for like 46. We were like, oh my God, how is, how is this dude just knocking down contested shot after contested shot? Uh, and then in that game too, he had that incredible like six point run where he's getting out in transition. He's jumping passing lanes, like he's slashing and driving. And he really is the guy now that is completely driving things for them. Early on, I thought it was Brunson, but over these last over the last half of this season where they've been great, it feels like they're great because Julius Randle is great again. And man, like can you remember a weirder career than Julius Randle? <laughs> Honest God, no. I still need to read it, but I know Jake Fisher had a one-on-one with him that he put out last week. And um, somebody I'd love to to talk to, honestly, in terms of what that's looked like for him. Because to go from the high that he hit in 2021 to where he was at last year, like, I mean, like, I, I didn't expect Julius to be a multi-time all-star, even when he had that season. Like, I thought that he would still be an an upper echelon player because he'd established himself in that way. But we knew, like, a lot of it was like, okay, Julius is not a 40% three-point shooter on volume. I don't think that's going to stick. But to have this kind of reverberation has been cool. Like, he is, like, again, like, to his credit, he's changed up his his shot profile a little bit. Like, he's taking way more threes than he ever has. He's cut – like, he still does a lot of them, but he's cut out a lot of the the off-the-dribble twos. I still don't think that necessarily the – playmaking and decision-making has gotten better, but it's, it has been better. Like it's been, it's, it's better than it was last year. It's like back. To well, what here's, it was before. I just, here's what I would say. I think there's less on his plate from that perspective now. Yeah. Well, having allowed having him, Jalen's been good. Yeah. Yeah. Which has allowed him to be good at the things he's great at. Right. Having Jalen, having even like Josh Hart now takes up some of those possessions, having RJ, who is comfortable taking those possessions, having Emmanuel quickly, who is emerging into. I mean, Mark, he's the top 30 point guard in the league now, right? Yeah, like, IQ's been pretty clear. Like, and I th- exactly like you're hitting on, like as much as this roster is still I, and I don't want to sound harsh by saying this roster is flawed. It, it is to a degree like I think with like there are limitations to what they want to do. But it's so much better built around what Julius is capable of than it was in prior years. Like, especially if you're looking at last year. I think, like, you look at this team up and down, like, Josh is taking those open threes now. I'm sure he and Tibbs had a heart-to-heart, right, when he came over. Like, hey, buddy, if you don't take those threes, you're not playing. So, because, I mean, that's their entire system is draw two, take open shots, drive, attack the glass. Like, that's that's it. It's simple. And that's part of why it's not always great, but, like, when you have the the personal to make it work, it's been great. Like exactly like you mentioned with IQ, like the defense has been awesome. He was really good in last night's game. And part of what makes them so fun is like, okay, if you have a team that is not winning on one of the margins, like if the Celtics are going to struggle like they did from three last night and they're not going to be able to make up for it on the glass. Cause like, the, I think the Knicks ended up out rebounding them by 10. Then, I mean, that's, that's enough. Like they play really good defense. They have been better at not turning the ball over and just, playing pretty well offensively, like, that's really hard to beat. And also, too, we didn't even talk about it. Like, Jalen Brunson went from shooting on volume and not shooting that well on threes for much of the year, but 
he's been on a heater the last month or two, and he's gotten up to over 40% from three on the season. Um, it's been, it's been very fun to watch. I, I like, I, I just, I don't want to, like, it sounds reductive to say it's better when the Knicks are good for basketball, but I think the reason of why it's better when the Knicks are good for basketball is like, you have another team in the East that's really competitive um, that just adds something and you get Mike Breen and Clyde Frazier. That's awesome to me. Like they were the best part of last night's game, arguably. Um, so yeah, that, I know it was a really long ramble, but they don't even have a player who's above the Julius Randall is the oldest player in their rotation right now. Yeah. He's 28. Which is kind of a it's kind of wild to think that Julius Randle's almost 30, but also like they play a really young rotation still because it's him, Brunson, Josh Hart's 27, like it's a young team. Yeah, and you know, the, the reason that I wanted to bring up Julius Randle in terms of like the weirdness of his career is just I mean, this is a guy that I think people, you know, it, it's a cliche to say people forget this, you know, but <laughs> yeah. People forget that, like, his first game of his career, he, like, went down and – did he break his leg, if I yeah. remember correctly? Yeah, it sucked. I remember watching that. That was awful. Because I was horrible. a Julius fan. I love Julius coming out of Kentucky. Yeah, that sucked. And then, you know, averaged a double-double the next year, but it was on that those terrible Lakers teams and was really inefficient that season in what was essentially his rookie year. And then the next year – Starts most of the games, takes like a bit of another step forward. But again, that team is like quite bad. And then they start to improve just like a little bit, right? They get Lonzo in there. Brandon Ingram is there. Um, You know, Kuzma is there. They win. What do they win? Like 35 games, something like that. And then after that, he gets moved to New Orleans and averages 21 a game and gets kind of pigeonholed as this like, good stats on a bad team guy. And then he goes and like has another pretty solid year in new Orleans, then goes to the Knicks and like plays incredibly for the Knicks and makes an all-star game in his second season in the COVID year. And everyone thinks it's just because of the like COVID year where shooting lines were a little bit easier and things like that. But now he's up to three point volume to eight per game and he's shooting 35% on them. He's averaging 25 points per game. I mean, he's, he's going to end up being like a all NBA guy again this year. I think. Yeah. I, I almost uncorked that take earlier for you. Like, I think I would struggle to, uh, I mean, it would be tough on the last, uh, last forward position, but I think he, he'd be pretty close to making all NBA for me. Yeah. Um, like it depends really on good. how Kawhi finishes the year. Probably. I think like if he plays every game, the rest of the year, it's going to be hard to leave him out, but so we're going to Randall's. Yeah. Randall's uh, right on the precipice though. I I love it. I'm here for it. Um, he's averaging 25 and, and 11 this year. Like and I know like, of, it's not everything, but like that's it's, it's, it's he's been impressive. Speaking of averages, do you know what Jalen Brunson is averaging over his last 25 games? I do not. Jalen Brunson's averaging 28.2 points, 4 wow. rebounds and 5.6 assists, shooting 50% from the field, 44% from 3, 80% from the line. That's that's kind of awesome. Can I? That's like just straight all star like shit. And that is, you know, I always really liked Jalen Brunson. I had him as a first round grade his draft year. I thought that people were way overthinking it. He's like arguably the smartest, you know, highest processing speed guard that I've evaluated uh, coming out of college. I think he's a basketball genius. He's a basketball genius with great touch, right? 
those guys just tend to figure it out on some level. I didn't see this. I didn't see 28 a night <laughs> Jalen Brunson for a 25 game stretch, man. Yeah. Um, it would be really tough to reject this. Like I liked him at Villanova. I wasn't like, you know, deep in like draft and scouting weeds yet, but like, yeah, no, I didn't see that at all. I didn't see that from honestly, for the most part, I didn't see that for any of the guys on that Villanova team. Um, and I mean, they've all turned out to be pretty fun, but um I think the last thing I'd want to mention on that too, like um, more with, with Randall um, when I first like really got into the draft and scouting, I think everything that I based everything on was on feel and, um, and being intuitive and, um, and just like, obviously like having a really good basketball IQ and like that stuff matters. I'm not trying to denigrate that, but I think, at times there is a, and maybe I'm over indexing on just draft community in general, but I do think that like being able to create shots. And even if you don't necessarily deem it high level, like Julius Randall's got really it's like 31% usage over the last month. Um, and is like, his, his scoring average is like, a, I think plus four over league average and, on the year like he's at 61 percent true shooting like having guys who can create shots even if it's not always like the prettiest thing in the world matters like it's the stuff i think about yes with jalen brown too like i went back and i did like kind of a deep dive on jalen last year during the playoffs and what he really looked like at cal and i'm like watching him at cal i like i think about what i would have been at with him you know scouting wise yeah, you, um, you knowing you, you would have had Jalen Brown at like fifteen. Not that low, or something not like that, that low. Like, but I, I do think, like, again, point being, I think one of the bigger things I've looked at this year is just trying to be more um, understanding of context and and yeah. role and like, hey, sometimes you just cannot beat the fact that this guy can create something like that, and it's not pretty yet, but it could get there. Um, so yeah, well, and, that's, and that's that was the. That was the whole thing with Jason Tatum, right? Like Jason Tatum got way downgraded by a bunch of people pre-draft because he was, you know, kind of a mid-range gunner at that time. And, oh, he can't get all the way to the rim. And it's just like, dude, look at how shifty this dude is. He's creating shots whenever he wants, wherever he wants for this Duke team. I know that they lost to South Carolina in the tournament, but you guys are way overthinking this. Like I ended up with Jason Tatum at number two, I believe, on my board behind uh, that'd be Markel Fultz's year. So I had him behind Fultz, but like it, to me, it was a no-brainer. Like the Jason Tatum was going to be really, really good in the NBA. Like I remember advocating for the Lakers to take Jason Tatum over Lonzo, and people thought I was like, people thought I had two heads, and I was just like, no. Like Jason Tatum, you pair that guy with Brandon Ingram, that that could have been like you know, exactly what ended up happening with the Celtics with Jason Tatum and, you know, uh, Jalen Brown. Like it could have just been different for the Lakers, I guess. Do you trade a title in 2020 for that? Probably not, I guess, but maybe you do. I think you consider it, right? I have no idea what to think. Honestly, I, I'm just sad thinking about Lonzo, to be honest. Uh, like I was thinking about that a ton last week. Yeah. Like Lonzo is so good when he's healthy. Um, which like no shit, but it just, I think again, it just, uh, it brings me back into how difficult some of this stuff is because you just can't, and more like not trying, like, I don't believe in saying the draft is a crapshoot. I think that that's 
kind no, of fallacy. Like I think <laughs> yeah, if you do your work, you know, it's hard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's again, like context, role, environment, everything, knowing personalities, knowing what people are like and how they, how they work. Like that stuff's all important and it culminates into, you know, being able to project this stuff out. But I think it's more so the stuff with Lonzo, like I can't project his knees just dying. Like that yeah. stuff sucks. Like it happens. And I think, um, that that stuff is a crapshoot. Like yeah, that's exactly like, like that's what that's what I'm getting going out like, the way. That you, you can was, get you can get real medical info on guys and like learn. Okay, this could be an issue. This might not be an issue, right? And you can make informed decisions, but informed decisions now don't necessarily mean informed decisions down the road. It's the same with the stock market, right? Like, yeah. you know, you make the decisions based on the available info that you have, and if you're good at it you end up coming ahead in the long run. You're not going to win all of them. Like even the Thunder, who I think do a great job, haven't nailed every draft pick. Uh, Atlanta has had a really good track record over the last little while. They haven't nailed every draft pick, right? So it's it's complicated in that way. The last thing I want to close on with the Knicks, though, I think that the thing that has gone very underrated about them is their lineup versatility. They can bludgeon you in so many different ways. They can play super small with Brunson, quickly Grimes, like a man at the four, Randall at the five. They can play super big with Mitchell Robinson and Randall and RJ Barrett. And all three of those guys are just like absolute fucking tanks. And they can play normally right like you can play josh hart at the three you can play grimes at the two you can go super defensive you can go super offensive they have a lot of two-way players on their team there's just a number of different ways that the knicks can beat you and i think that that is what makes them such an interesting potential playoff team that i wonder if in the conversation i had with kane Pittman last week i may have underrated how hard they might be to match up with in the playoffs. I don't think they can win a title with this roster, but like, yeah. but they're going to be hard. Like I think, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I think this team to me is, and I don't want to overhype them. Like I think conference finals would be pretty surprising, but I think that if they get the right matchup, second round is not crazy to me. Like this team, um, I do like, I, I've been trying and I don't have an answer for this. I'm just speaking out loud. Like I've been trying to weigh in my mind, the fact like, okay, most teams haven't parsed down to their nine man rotation yet. They've been at that since Thanksgiving. So like on one hand, I'm like, okay, well, what do I make of that? Cause every time it gets partially, you know, like pointed out like, oh, well they have like the fourth best net rating in the NBA since they did that. I'm like, yeah, but also, okay. There are teams that are still playing 10 or 11 guys a night. So it's, for me, I'm always a little bit weary of what to think of that. I, and again, I don't have an answer on it. But I also think like, yeah, these guys, they have it nailed down what they're going to do. They know what they want to do. Come playoff time, I think we're going to see that again. And to be fair too, like they've given Cleveland real problems this year. I think Cleveland, I don't want to say like, you know, Cleveland needs to do whatever they can to get out of here. But if Cleveland can find a way into the three seed, they I would like to see them do it because the Knicks have given them real issues this year. Um so I'd be interested interested to see what happens with that. But exactly like you're saying, like I think this team really could be um like I don't think they're getting swept in the playoffs this year. I'd be pretty surprised. Like no. again, this no, is a, no. obviously like Julius needs to have a better playoffs than he did last time. But I, I think you're we're looking at such a different team that even if he has an underwhelming playoffs, I think that they're going to be better. 
I agree. I am a really, really uh, big fan of this Knicks team. And I think Tom Thibodeau deserves a lot of credit for adjusting just like a small amount, just in terms of like, he's clearly very demanding. He is clearly like a big time accountability coach, but it feels like he has embraced what this roster is good at in many ways. And the crazy thing is that I think there is still room for growth with these guys, right? Like, I think that there's a lot of room for someone like RJ Barrett to play better. Right. And he started to do that recently, but even on the defensive end, like RJ for whatever reason has gone from being useful to being terrible defensively this year. And he was never terrible. Like his first two years, like I thought he was okay as a rookie. And then his second year when they made that playoff run, I thought he was really, really good that year defensively. And I don't know what happened to him. Uh, to where this has this is a shifted in some way where he has not been very good. Uh, yeah, there's still room for growth here too with the Knicks. I really love them. Uh, let's go to the Bucks now, though. The Bucks are winners of 14 straight NBA games. They are uh, absolutely on a tear to where they have actually overtaken the Boston Celtics by percentage points for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And they've done this with Chris Middleton essentially being, you know, like, what, 60% of what he can be, 70% of what he can be. He started to show, like, a little bit of positive steps toward what he can be before the All-Star break, and it seems like he's getting his legs back under him. Giannis has missed a few games here and there. It's really Drew Holiday just kind of carrying the load here. And I want this thing to be absolutely in every way uh, a love fest for Drew Holiday as we talk about it because he's been a stud. Yeah, um, and they've needed him to be too as well. Like like you mentioned, they're on a 14-game winning streak. But that's also noting like in February, they're still only 14th, practically 15th, almost tied with the 76ers in offense. Well, going 9-0 yeah. in February. Like, their offense has still been kind of a slog. It hasn't been very good. Their defense has just been out of this world. Like, they're actually uh, only second to the Chicago Bulls in February defensively, uh, which is kind of hilarious. Just that Bulls team is so fun. We'll talk about them at some point. But, uh, yeah, like like you mentioned, I, th- I mean, this has been Drew's best season of his career, in my opinion. Um, like, I mean, he's been obviously very good with, with the um, – the Pelicans and just this whole time with the with the Bucks, he's been solid. But this has been like the shot making this year has been different for him. Uh, it feels like every pull up is going in. He still has his uh, confusing offensive decision making at times. Like he can do some things uh, late game and just in general where you're like, dude. But I think that's mostly been outweighed by how good he's been and driving their half court offense. Because again, like I still think. I haven't loved the whole discussion around just MVP in general this year. Uh, so I don't even want to think about that. But, like, to be fair, like, this has not been the Giannis season that we've seen offensively the last couple of years. Um, he has up, up until recently, but yeah. Yeah. yeah but, uh, but again, point being, that's just more just the point to like they've needed Drew all that much more for where he's at and what he's been doing for them. Um, like, he's just been so dynamic out of pick and roll. He's been really good playing off the ball as well. Um, and then defensively, he's been, I mean, for my money, the best guard defender in basketball. Um, he's been awesome, like, in, in everything that they need him to. Um, 
so he's been a blast to watch. And I think, again, like part of what's really fun about the NBA and the way that things have gone, um, like it just feels like we see players keep getting better even though they're older. Like this is yep. Damian Lillard's best season of his career. He's 33, I think, 32 or 33. Same thing with Drew. Like we're used to associating uh, peak powers for a player in, in their mid to late 20s, and now we're kind of seeing that change up a little bit, which is kind of – I'd need to do more research before I say anything concrete about that, but that has been cool to watch. Um, but yeah, long story short, Drew Holiday is awesome. It's been very fun to watch him. Totally agree. Uh, he has been the catalyst for them, I think, in terms of uh, this little late portion of this run over the course of the last four games of it, I would say, where you know they beat Boston, Chicago, Miami, and then they beat Phoenix by three uh, two nights ago. Look, I, I do at least want to acknowledge Giannis. It, it, it like yeah. you know from game three of game until game eleven in this run of wins, played thirty four minutes a night, averaged thirty eight point six points, thirteen rebounds, six assists. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> yeah, Giannis averaging thirty eight point six points per game over almost a ten game stretch, just unbelievable. But you know that game against Phoenix, I thought was just. Absolutely some incredible, incredible, incredible Drew Holiday shit. It was like the epitome of what makes him an absolute stud. He took on every tough defensive moment in that game against guys like Devin Booker and Chris Paul. And then on the other end, dropped 33 points, had five assists, You know, made his threes at a reasonable level had to create more than what we've seen because the other thing is that Chris Middleton, you know, came off the bench in that game, played 25 minutes. You know, it's, this is his team right now. This is Drew Holiday's team. And and like, I desperately wish that I felt like I could get him on an all NBA team. I I don't know if I can just with how loaded the backcourt is this year. Yeah. There's too many freaking guards to to put on that are just going to be. Yeah. But, but exactly, been, like it's how do you not? He's it's, been somewhere around like the fifteenth to twentieth best player in the league this year. He, he's been unbelievable. He's been absolutely unbelievable. Yeah. Um, talking about the well, I mean, one last thing I want to hit on like highest three point rate of his career. Um, it's about the exact same as last year, but I can say that it is the the least. Um, I mean, yeah, the least assisted threes in his career. Like, it's the most self-created that he's made by 0.2%, worth noting, uh, compared to last year. But, like, again, like, he's he's changed his shot diet. He continues to – like, he's shooting the best he ever has at the rim, taking less errors, you know, more floaters, more threes. Um, he's just been – it's been very fun to watch him develop into this player, especially considering, like, I never thought Drew Holiday was going to be a good three-point shooter again after that one year that he had with the Pelicans um, right before he came over to the, mm. well, the year before he came over to the Bucks, So he shot 35% the second year. Like obviously like noting a lot of his shots were still self-created, but I was always in the, okay, well, I guess he'll just be kind of an okay shooter on volume. And to get to where he's been at, you know, just in Milwaukee in general and, and what he's done this year has been really fun to see. Yeah. I mean, in his last three seasons overall in new Orleans, he shot 33.8% from three. Look, in those years, he was asked to do a lot for that team, right? Like next to Anthony Davis, next to Julius Randle, he was really taking, it felt like a few more pull-ups than he has to take now, which is helpful Mm -hmm. uh, to his shot diet overall. So 
I do think that Drew Holiday in like this role that he has morphed into in Milwaukee playing next to Giannis, he is kind of an ideal archetype for a player in today's NBA. I think that we often try and find, or, you know, not we, I think you and I tend to think differently about the draft than this, but like people in the draft in general are so obsessed with finding these guards who are high level creators, right? Look, you can be that and you can be an incredible high level creator, but at the same token, you, if you don't reach that highest level as a creator, you probably need to slot into more of a Drew Holiday like role in order to be the best version of yourself you can be. So, you know, this is something to speak of why people around the NBA are a little bit higher than Bronny James in ter- than recruiting people. I think this is absolutely real. Uh, I don't know if they have him in the top 10 necessarily. I haven't heard that yet. Uh, all due respect to John Gavoni, like I've been higher on Bronny than most. And I think our conversations about Bronny in general have been very positive, but uh, you know, I've haven't gotten top 10 yet, but I do think that there is a real sense that his game translates to playing at a high level in the NBA in the same way that Drew Holiday's is impactful playing next to high level superstars and helping to accentuate their game in a really high level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point to bring up. Um, like, and even too, I think it's a really good point and just like uh, maybe somebody who could become a high level creator, if they're not there yet, like most guys aren't going to come in right away and just be like, Oh, well I can carry 30% usage. Like having a guy like, Paolo, who even he has had real struggles this year at times. Um, like, it is really hard to slot somebody in and just be like, okay, I can lead an offense now. Like, like looking at somebody like Shea. Like, Shea had to come in and become – like, he started out in more of, like, that secondary uh, – three and D is the wrong way to put it. But, like, just, like, being a secondary guard mold, playing alongside other players before he could really find that that that, that next, next gear. And, again, like, that's also noting, like, Shea has done, like, outlier shit in his development. But, point like, I'm – more just to agree with you, I think, definitely. The Milwaukee Bucks, as I mentioned, are in first place in the Eastern Conference, momentarily, at the very least, on a win percentage basis. Do you think they're the favorite to come out of the East right now? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think I want to say it's probably still Boston as a favorite to come out of the East, but they'd probably be my second right now. I trust them more than Philadelphia. Um, I think yesterday, or it might not have been yesterday. It might have been the day before. I can't remember. My days were running together. But I think the last couple games, we've seen a lot of the issues that I have with Philadelphia are popping up. Like in that game against the Celtics, um, it's not about James Harden. I think some people like to pin it as the James Harden problem. I'm like, no, this is more like, this is what happens when the Miami Heat are comfortable. Oh, this is what I guess was yesterday. Nothing about it. This is what happens when the Miami Heat are comfortable, like saying, "Okay, PJ Tucker's in the corner, so we're you're playing four yeah. on five now." Like that's a real problem. I think that. I mean, I've been there for a little bit. I think that they need to contemplate benching him, and like obviously not like not playing him, but going somewhere else because offensively it's been untenable for them. And when Joel has a bad game. They, I mean, the, they, the margins are so slim. Yeah. For them. Like, yeah. and I think so. Again, some people will be like, well, then Joel should just play better. I'm like, okay, well, sometimes Jimmy Butler's just awesome defensively and he's going to pick off every premeditated pass because he can come flying off of PJ Tucker. Like, I, I think that it all 
goes hand in hand. But that's to say, like, I think as much as I have enjoyed Joel and would maybe argue him for MVP right now, like I would probably they'd be they'd be neck and neck with Milwaukee, but Milwaukee probably slightly above for me. It's interesting. Like I think Milwaukee matches up better with Boston than the Sixers do. And while I'm a little bit encouraged by that last game, just in terms of like, okay, I just straight up think that Joel is going to go for 40, like in that series. Like, I think he will average something like 38 to 42 points in that series and will dominate across the board. I also just think that Milwaukee just has better matchup potential against Boston, uh, at least on the defensive end, especially now, like if Jay Crowder can take on some of that load, as long as Chris with Milwaukee, it all comes down to Middleton for me. I don't think they can get efficient enough offense in the playoffs. If Chris Middleton is not a hundred percent healthy, right? That's really what it comes down to for me. Uh, If Middleton isn't there, it's going to be hard for them to create in the half court. And if they can't create in the half court, it's going to be hard. Yeah, definitely. And I actually kind of wonder if they're going to keep sticking with Chris Middleton on the bench moving forward, even in the playoffs. Like, I think, like, obviously he's still going to play high-level minutes, but they found a formula that's working, obviously. So I wouldn't want to mess with it. Obviously, they need Chris to get to a different level. So I do wonder if they're going to have to tinker with that and maybe deal with uh, some uncertainty over the last couple of weeks. But um, I think <sighs> – I want, I want to say it was Andrew Schlecht and, and Alex Spears were having a really good conversation about this on uh, on Slam and Jam over the weekend. And, I, you know, it made me think a lot about it, too, in terms of, like, what teams have had championship makeup. And, like, obviously the Bucks, like, their, their offense has been pretty dreadful this year. Um, but I think you can also point to it and be like, hey, you know, we know what their defense is. The things that they have been doing, we know are going to translate in terms of that half-court um, ability to just create late. Um, we know what Giannis can bring. I think Jay Crowder, what he brought in the Phoenix game was really fun. I want to continue to see what that dynamic's like. Um, I, you know me, I was not high on uh, – I was not as high as others on the Joe Ingles move earlier. I think having the Jay signing helps with that because I've liked some of the lineups they've been able to put out. Like um, mm. Steve Jones had a, had a comment on this the other day about just like how interesting it is defensively having like, okay, well – we have like Chris Middleton, Joe Ingles, Drew Holiday, Jay Crowder, and, and Giannis are out there, or maybe Brooke is out there instead of Giannis. And like, no, like Joe Ingles is not super fast. But I think you look at that like, okay, well, now it's harder for him to get pinpointed and attacked when you have that much size right. on the court and that many guys who can do things. And I think you've seen that really play out, which has been really fun to watch. Like I I still have a lot of questions about their creation outside of Drew and and Chris to a degree, but I also feel just better about their lineup versatility than I did in past years. Like we talked so much about PJ Tucker when he was on that team for the title team. And like, even in the playoffs, like he, and I'm not trying to be harsh. Like he did positive things in the, in the title run, but they still largely were playing four and five offensively most of that series. And that was like a lot of it's heavy lifting from everybody else. So to me, I look at this group, I just feel a lot better about what their answers can be to things in a playoff series. Particularly against Boston, I think. That's the big that's the big matchup for them. Is like I think he makes I think they make more sense against Boston. Yeah. Uh, let's take a quick commercial break and we will talk about Quinn Snyder and we will talk about the Houston Rockets.
Okay, we're back. Quinn Snyder was set to be, I would argue, the hottest coach in demand this offseason. You would agree with that, right? Yeah, based on everything we heard. Certainly seemed like it. And instead of waiting until the offseason to see what jobs were going to open, he has decided to take the Atlanta Hawks job. Seemingly a somewhat interesting move on its face. This is a Hawks team that for all of its talent with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray and John Collins, DeAndre Hunter, Clint Capella has struggled this season. They are essentially capped out moving forward. They are at a draft deficit in terms of picks because of the DeJounte Murray deal. And they are potentially at risk of losing DeJounte Murray next offseason if this doesn't start to look better, I would argue, if only because DeJounte Murray has an expiring contract that even if the new collective bargaining agreement, which, as Shams Trania reported from The Athletic, allows for extensions to start at up to 150% as opposed to the current 120% that you can start them at, you're not going to get DeJounte Murray signed for what I believe would be something like $26 million or $25 million a year to start that deal. So he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. They haven't really fit all that well together yet. Not a team with a ton of flexibility. What do you think was attractive about this Atlanta Hawks job for Quinn Snyder? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I'm not really, like, I don't want to say I'm not really sure. Like, I think the idea of getting to work with somebody like Trey, uh, is probably enticing to a degree. Like you can look at this roster and like the, to me, the talent's just never really been the issue. I think it's always been like making it fit, making it cohesive. Um, I do think some of the actual, um, pieces aren't like, like we've talked about, like it's not perfect in what it can actually be for an ecosystem. But I think a lot of this is how do you, make this all work how do you get the buy-in because i mean we saw them do it a a year and a half ago and what they did in their run of the eastern conference finals and you can say whatever you want about you know how lucky some of that was um but also like just the brand of basketball they played was better they they were able to buy in and do something different and i think it's all about okay yes i think there'll have to be some some roster moves around it but um i think to me like it's not like a clear he's going to come in and they're going to win a title, but I think like just by virtue of you know coming in with his own ideologies and beliefs and the way that he wants to play, I think he makes a lot of sense for this team. Yes. Being a creative set designer, somebody who is going to like knows how to get the most out of a high level guard, um, I think that there's a lot to be attracted to with with what this can look like. Um, and I do want to say too, I love that he's coming in to close out the year, honestly, like I, and from, 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 from his standpoint and from an organizational standpoint, because a, I mean, I'm a, of course you're still going to get graded on what this year is, but I'm also of the opinion, like screw it, man. This, this has already been kind of a shit show. Like let's get in there and get to work right now. Let's, let's try yeah. and get on the same page. Let's get it turned around ASAP or start working on those things that, are heading towards that. Cause I'm all like, I don't know, like I could be wrong, but I'm always of the opinion of I rather take care of something right now than wait a couple months and see what it looks like. And that probably bites me sometimes, but um, that's how I would view it. That's like, so I'm interested just to see what that can look like here. I mean, that allows him to be part of decision-making in the off season too. And um, cause I mean, we've seen some coaches get hired like after the draft or after parts of the off season. So I think, you know, coming yeah. in and, inserting himself into it right away is uh is probably the right move 
So I kind of explained why I think this job is high variance, maybe is the way to put it, in terms of it could be difficult if this thing goes poorly in the next year for them to rebound in some way, right? Because they will have to make roster moves to make the roster make a little bit more sense. And they're at risk of DeJounte Murray at this point, you know, potentially leaving just because of course they are within the next 14 months, just contractually. That's a situation that we have to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. This is a high upside situation and it's a high upside situation that makes a lot of sense for how Quinn Snyder coached in Utah, I think. There obviously is a lot of talk about the idea of having this real rim running threat with Trey Young and with a high level point guard, you know, Quinn Snyder got the best out of Rudy Gobert. And I will be very interested to see one of two things. A, does he get the best out of Clint Capella in this way as a defensive anchor who has been pretty good defensively throughout the course of the year? I wouldn't say he's been all defense in the way that Rudy is, but I'd say he's been a solid defender. Or B, do they start to weaponize John Collins more in this way? Uh, maybe using him on in bench units a little bit more often with DeJounte Murray and always just having that rim runner right there, right? Always making sure that someone can just roll to the rim and be aggressive and attack. Maybe you run second units with Trey and... Uh, Trey and John Collins, maybe you play Trey Young the entire first quarter and you get John Collins for the last four minutes of the first quarter. You bring Clint Capella off after eight. And then for the next four minutes of the second quarter, you have Trey Young off the court and you have DeJounte running the show and you let that be your primary offensive weapon, right? You can then get basically the first half of a game. You can almost get the full game if you want to, if you want to stagger things that way where you have this elite level rim runner going toward the basket in a way that Nate McMillan just did not weaponize enough. I think this offense was retrograde. It was a mess. It was, there was no attention paid to shot quality, to shot charts, to shot uh, expected value. Like it was just not a good offense in terms of creating efficient looks in the right spaces. So Quinn Snyder is going to help immensely in that regard. And he's going to be more creative figuring out ways to make DeJounte Murray and Trey Young work together. He figured out really compelling ways to have Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell work in conjunction with one another uh, as creative forces. I would argue that both Trey Young and DeJounte Murray are even more creative passers, you know, than Donovan Mitchell, certainly. DeJounte is probably not quite as creative as Mike Conley is as a passer, but uh, Trey Young is one of the most creative passers in the league. So I think that this offense is going to change entirely. And if there's a coach that I trust to get the most out of it, I do think Quinn Snyder is that guy. And I think that this is going to be a real, real help for Atlanta moving forward. Yeah, I think the, and it's not even a hold up, but I would say um, for fans who are, you know, clamoring that they want to see the young guys more. Quinn is not that guy. <laughs> like uh, Quinn is going to play his guys that he trusts. But, but you know what? Minutes, he might but... have to be he, yeah. for the scheme he wants to run. Like you might have to play AJ Griffin is your corner fleet or uh, corner three point floor spacer. Yeah. Because he's no, the best I, shooter you have. Right. I'm interested to see if he's uh 
because one of the things that I always love hearing from coaches that I think gets undersold is like, uh, you know, a lot of coaches I've talked to, like they are so ingrained in what they are doing in the moment for the certain team that they're working for, that they're like just turned off to things that are outside their scout or anything they're doing. Yeah. I wonder for Quinn, if just like being able to have this time and like, he hasn't been broadcast or anything. Just, he's just like, I'm sure he's been doing plenty of stuff, but like, you get what I'm saying? Like, um, I, I do wonder like how much he's, I'm sure he's thought a lot about, you know, how things went in Utah and what, what he can do differently. And um, I agree. Like, I, I think this roster is in a spot where he has to play some guys, but I think like, I'm more so saying like, I'm not really sure that we're going to see a lot of Jalen Johnson minutes um, as much as yeah, I but that, that doesn't bother me. Like, no, I'm, I'm not saying it should bother you. I'm just saying like yeah. for, for Atlanta fans, just, just be wary. Um, Cause I, I do feel like there was a lot of initial like, Oh, well we're going to see all the young guys. I'm like, I don't know, man. But yeah. The one that is going to be really interesting to me is John Collins, Onyeka Kongwu, like trying to find like Onyeka theoretically should be a great rim runner for this scheme. Right. But what do they do? They continue to utilize him in that way. Does he become a trade chip? Does John Collins just become the trade chip? Right. Uh, Do they view Onyeka as the person who is going to take over for Clint Capella moving forward? Has Onyeka proven enough to like, put himself in that position. See, that's why it's hard. Cause like, I, uh, like, I agree that like, I mean, yeah, can do some things as a rim runner, but it's almost like the, uh, like he and Clint are just so different in how they do it. Like Clint yeah. is that very real high level lob threat. Um, who has really worked to make himself a, a guy who can, you know, one dribble post and go to, um, but, Onyek is just so much better at screening, rescreening, flipping, like being so good with angles, he has that Rashawn Holmes, like the, the touch shot guy, like he can lob, but it's so much more about what he can do in terms of making himself available in spacing pockets. And it's just, I almost feel like he works better with DeJounte and Trey works better with Clint, like Trey having that yeah. lob threat works better. It's so again, like trying to construct this lineups is interesting, but like, I almost feel like Clint as an archetype works so much better with Trey than Onyeka does. And Maybe that changes as time goes on, but like I, I'll, I will be interested to see how it goes because even defensively, like you have to play it differently. Because um, I think that's been Onyeka's biggest struggle this year has been on the defensive end in some ways. Like part of like that, and I think it's going to be different as they work to to get like they've gotten more versatile as the years gone on. But um, like they they need to have like I almost like having him play next to like playing with a bigger four is really important for him like just in terms of where he's at size was, I think it's been better in terms of his overall force over the last month or two, but it's still like, it's going to be a thing moving forward. Yeah. Okay. Overall, really smart move for Atlanta, you know, could really work for Quinn Snyder. Like if Quinn Snyder takes this team and like maximizes them, I think it's going to be a great look for Quinn at the end of the day. And I think that it's a roster that does make sense for him in a lot of ways. Uh, We had Sravan in the comments ask, where else do I think Quinn Snyder should have gone? I, I might have just been patient to see what else opens up, right? Like, you know, that there are a few jobs that theoretically, if things don't go super well the rest of the way, could become fairly interesting, I think. Like, could Dallas open up if Jason Kidd ends up in a circumstance where uh, he doesn't maximize this roster in some way? Uh, you know, frankly, like, could the Pelicans open up? Like, I think Willie Green's done a pretty good job, but like, 
I, I don't know. The vibes there seem strange in general, right? So, and this is me saying that, like, I don't know where he should have gone. And I'm not saying Willie Green is on the hot seat. I don't think Willie Green should be on the hot seat. My point is that random jobs open up at the end of the year every season that we don't expect to open up. And Quinn, I think, being as high profile and as successful and as uh, sought after as he is, I think would have very much had his pick, I guess is the way to put it. Yeah, I mean, clearly he was at the he was at the top for uh, for Atlanta. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I agree. Like, I'm exactly like you're saying, though. I think the one job to really watch, is, I mean, not even to watch. Like, I feel like this is pretty well. Um, understood, but I feel like the Pistons job is definitely that's something next year. Not that it's all that attractive right now, but I do think like that's uh, that's the one I would probably keep an eye on. But. Well, th- let, let's transition now yeah. because we're about to get to another one. Oh well, yeah, this one, that, this one is definitely <laughs> reported on. Like, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, the Houston Rockets. Uh, look. I've been pretty clear throughout the year that I think that this Houston Rockets situation is like coaching malpractice in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't think that Steven Silas has done a very good job. My take is not that I think Steven Silas is a bad coach necessarily. I just very clearly think he's not the right coach for this roster. Uh, It's watching that Damian Lillard 71 point game. I was blown away by Damian Lillard first and foremost, but I felt like I couldn't even like completely enjoy it. Cause I was just sitting there watching breakdown after breakdown after breakdown in any way imaginable. It was, you know, one time it'd be like a communication breakdown on a switch. One time it would be uh, okay. You know, Shangun drops too far and it's just a easy walk into a three pointer. Right. One time it would be, you know, Jabari Smith just like completely screwing up in terms of his, you know, weight distribution and like screwing up his footwork and not being able to keep Lillard in front. Uh, Every single breakdown, breakdowns at the point of attack, breakdowns in, you know, ball screen communication, every single thing happened, breakdowns in help defense. You can go down the list. And I thought it was one of the worst defensive performances I've seen. And honestly, like I didn't at the end of it, I was just like, this is just infuriating. This isn't even like enjoyable for me to like be able to appreciate Damian Lillard dropping 71. And we should appreciate Damian Lillard dropping 71 because he scored. Uh, he, he made one from like the parking lot in the second quarter. He had 13, three pointers. He dominated that game entirely. And I don't want to put this all on like, the coaching staff in some way because they're limited in terms of what they can do when Damian Lillard is on a run like that. Like what are your options at the point of attack? Right. Are are you going to put in, you know, the 21 year old, or are you going to put in another 21 year old or a different 21 year old or wait, you can go to the end of the bench and you can put in a separate 21 year old, right? Like when Dame is in that zone, there is not a 21-year-old on the fucking planet that's going to be able to do anything against him. It's funny. Like, I saw Rockets fans, like, be pretty upset about Dacian Knicks. And I was like, honestly, I thought Dacian probably did a better job than all of the other guards against Lillard. It's just there's not a good option in that scenario. So I, I just... 
watching this theme eludes me. And then, you, you know what? Let's start there. Before I get into my whole thing on Alper and Shangun and the way he seems treated kind of differently by this coaching staff, I uh, I just want to allow you the floor. What, what are your thoughts on this Houston Rockets team? Yeah, I, I think it's tough because kind of like you said, um, it's a double-edged sword of like, like I think you and I were pretty blatant early on in the era that this isn't just coaching. Like this is, this is what happens when you put together a room full of guys who were drafted in the first round uh, or just in general who were all just drafted in the last three or four years. Like that's – it's really hard to have a cohesive team when everybody is still finding out what they are in the NBA. Um I, I have, I mean, I have a ton of thoughts. Like, I think, A, like, I'm, I guess, disappointed, but also, like, I think the talent, like, clearly shines through from time to time. Like, you see the stuff that matters and it pops. And um, I do just want to say, like, this is not necessarily what I expected from Jabari Smith this year, but I also, like, I can't get there with where some people have been out on him. Like, I think this has been tough because a lot of the years – here's here's exactly what I mean. That, that is a problem. Like, okay, well – you have no idea what's working early on in the year, right? So much of the offense is just trying to figure out how to get Jalen Green going, trying to make sure Kevin Porter Jr. is capable of running the offense so you're you're using a lot of threat. Like, okay, let's try and make that work. Okay, well, that doesn't really work for anybody else. All right, what if we really work in getting Alper and Shangun going and then we tie that into getting things going alongside Jalen Green? Okay, that's cool, but then defensively this is a mess. And then it's like, okay, well, if we're running this, then we just need Jabari Smith. We're not going to run anything for Jabari Smith. He's going to have to find his own offense. And, like, I think he's made strides in that. But also, like, I think it was very clear last year, that's not the kind of player he was. He wasn't ready to be that coming into the NBA as a guy who's going to find all of his own offense. And, frankly, you don't really draft somebody at three to do that either. Um, So that whole thing, like, trying to make seven different things work at the same time and trying to go do a bunch of different things, it's just been – it's been rough for them. Um, in that regard. And I think it's, I want to, I, I want to talk about Jabari after yeah. this, like after the mess of it. Cause I, I do think Jabari's in a really interesting position, but sorry. I continue. No, you're good. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to go next with that. I think like, okay, so, so let, let me pick it up for you then. This is where I'll give my spiel on Shangun and what the Rockets were doing in that game. And, what in the world Steven Silas is like. Oh, well, also, get out here. Let me say, yeah, I think it was fine to pull Shangun and what that game was. I saw a lot of Rockets fans mad that he got pulled, but to pull him for Boban was confusing to me. Like, play Usman Group. Yes. Like, Usman so, played yeah. seven minutes in that game. And, like, I get, like, to be fair to you, like, you have to play vets. Like, you can't, like, most vets are not just there to, like, sit on the bench. But also, like, that was not the game for Boban. What did Boban provide that was different, that was better? There was nothing like right. nothing from that made me feel better or looked better. I think it's fine to pull Shangun in that because he was certainly not helpful. I think to, I also would say like, I honestly feel that he has not gotten pinned enough for what his defense has been this year, to be honest. Like, yeah, he, I, I don't think Shangun's like, very good on defense. He's like, been pretty, I think he's pretty like, I, I mean, I've heard some like just in general, like, Oh, you know, he tries like, I, I don't know, man. Like his defense is all over the place for me. I don't think it's that great. That's, I mean, to be fair, it's the entire roster. But um, I, I think he's, I think he's hung out to dry by the guards way too regularly. Like Jalen Green dies on every screen. You know, Kevin Porter at least like kind of fights through them, but that wasn't. He wasn't great defensively. I didn't think. And Eric Gordon was. You know, let's just be real about it. Eric Gordon 
you know, was, was in his Eric Bledsoe. He didn't want to be there. Yeah. Uh, zone at that Very point. Much. Reasonable. He'd been there through so much losing. He wanted to go to a winner. I, I'm not trashing Eric Gordon for that at all. He was, he'd been there for way too long. Um, they should have moved him the year before and brought in a different vet and tried to recycle things. It's kind of like what you said. So throughout the first half of this game, and this is where I'm going to like take a straight shot at Chauncey Billups a little bit too. Um, throughout the first half of this game, what the Rockets did was they played Alperin Shangun on Matisse Thibel as opposed to playing him on the big. And what the Blazers did was they set screens with their bigs and had Matisse Thibel spot up in the corner. And Shangun was not available enough as a help defender. There's a clip that went around where Jabari Smith yelled after he got beat off the dribble by Damian Lillard, asking for help from Alperin Shangun. In that clip, it is same side help, but I think it's very clear that throughout, the, if you watch the course of that game, if you watch Jabari Smith's reaction, it seems abundantly clear to me that even though it was same side help, where the other side of the court was overloaded, the Rockets' plan coming into that game, it looked like, was to use Shangun as the help defender in order to be the guy at the rim, to create more of a crowd at the rim, to keep the Blazers away, and to potentially make Matisse Thibel beat them from the three-point line. It was also to keep Alper and Shangun away from the primary action a lot of the time, mm-hmm. right? For the whole first half, like largely that ended up happening, right? They kept the Blazers kept setting screens with bigs. They kept setting screens with people that weren't Alper and Shengun. And Dame went off because Dame went off for 40, right? But in the second half, it surprises me that it took Chauncey Phillips this long to figure it out. But in the second half, they started setting screens with Thibault, right? And they started bringing Shengun up to the level. They started bringing Shengun into the primary action. And that third quarter was really bad from Shengun. It, it was genuinely like disastrously bad defensively. Uh, again, you can blame the guards. You can blame whoever you want. He didn't do good enough on the defensive end in that circumstance. I thought he was pretty bad in that game defensively. Here's the other problem. It, it, he had been benched previously in the game before for the last 17 minutes of the game, 18 minutes of the game, whatever it was four similar efforts defensively. That was the game where Clay Thompson got them for 10 three-pointers or 11 three-pointers or whatever. And then Damian Lillard caught them for 13. They're the first team to ever give up 10 three-pointers in a game to a single player in back-to-back games. Can I just stop you? That that Dame, crazy. like uh, I think with the – I want to say it was like 35, 40 seconds left in the first half when he just pulls up from the Motor Center logo. Yeah, that's, I, that's the one from the parking lot. That yeah. was insane. Like I, I, I had to. I rewatched that so many times this morning. Just like the audacity, like and to like so casually too. Like he knew it was going to hit yeah. it before he took. It was that was unreal. Go he ahead. Rules. So they pull Shangun with five minutes left in the third quarter. He doesn't come back in. That's when they put Garuba in, and Garuba did a pretty good job, I thought, for the last five minutes of the third quarter. That that's the majority of the time he played. If Steven Silas wanted, as he said, you know, uh, after the game, he thought Shangun did not do a good enough job in ball screen defense. They were attacking him constantly. So he decided to make a change. Why wouldn't you just keep Shang? Why wouldn't you keep Garuba in? 
Yeah. Like just, just keep him in. He's doing, he's actually doing pretty well. And I know that like the last, I think two minutes of the third quarter was without Damian Lillard on the court, but like Garuba did fine in those minutes. He was actually a plus in that game. He ended up and like, look, plus minus is fraught, but like he did what he, he did everything that you could have asked them to do in that circumstance. Instead, you bring on Boban for the next five minutes. Why in the world would you not just bring on Shengu again? If you're going to put in Boban, bring in Shengu. There's no reason to not do that. Here's the other thing. Albert Shengun had 17, 10, and 5 in those, you know, the first 30 minutes of that game. 31 minutes, I guess, of that game. He was terrific on offense. And I guess that you can say that, okay, Steven Silas went with what worked because the Rockets cut the lead from 20 to about eight points by the time that uh, – I can't remember what it was. It was like with 10 minutes left in the third or fourth quarter or something like that. They got it down to like eight or so, maybe nine minutes left in the fourth quarter. And like, if you're Steven Silas, you might be sitting there going, oh, well, this is working. Like we're cutting the lead. We're rolling, right? Here's the thing. The whole reason it went from 16 to eight in the first place is because Damian Lillard was out. And then when Damian Lillard came back in, it was just curtains again. Let Shengun get the reps. Like, I'm not saying Shengun is good defensively. I think he's pretty bad defensively. Rockets yell at me. Rockets fans yell at me all the time for it. I think he's pretty bad defensively. But you know how you get better defensively? You get the reps. You need the reps to be able to work through your problems defensively. We're seeing it with James Wiseman. I still think Wiseman's been pretty bad defensively if you watched the Charlotte game last night. <laughs> but we're seeing James Wiseman get more confidence, which is really good. He had like 23 points and nine rebounds last night or something like that. It's good to see him get the reps. It's good to see him get the confidence, even though the team is not performing well on the defensive end. He needs to figure out his angles, much in the same way Alper and Shengu needs to figure out his angles on defense. Here's the other thing. Throughout the year, this has been a running theme that Silas seems to blame Alperin Shengun for a lot of the problems and doesn't seem to be willing to give accountability to guys like Jalen Green or frankly to someone like Jabari Smith who got beat pretty bad in ball screens against the Blazers as well and still played 38 minutes as compared to Shengun's 25 minutes. The only difference between the two of them in ball screens is that Jabari looks like he's working hard and Jabari went three for 11 in that game, as opposed to going for 17, 10, and five like Shangun did. It's, it's kind of dumbfounding to me. Like, I actually think there's real harm being done to the young guys on this team at this point. They're, they're not learning anything. They're not learning what good defense looks like at this point, it feels like. They're not actually being... They're not getting good reps. And you could say, I guess, that like if you want to keep Shengun off the court or you want to put him back on to get reps, but if the reps aren't good, what does it matter? I don't know. I think that getting the experience matters on some level, but none of these reps are good. None, none of them are helpful to these guys' development, which is why 20 games ago, I said that I thought it was time to remove Steven Silas. Back when they were 10 and 30, they're now 13 and 47. And I still think it's time to remove Steven Silas, even with just 20 games left, because I think you need to start making real tangible improvements. You're at the point where no matter what coach you bring in, you're still going to end up in the top three for lottery odds. 
at least start to make real positive moves here moving forward in order to create a create good habits. This team has no positive habits right now, it feels like. Yeah. Um, man, a lot to unpack there. It is really tough. Um, <laughs> I watch too much of this team because they have no, fun. No, I, I agree. I think I've watched like, 20, 20 of their games this year, and it feels like 20 too many. Um, and I don't mean this just to sound like I'm picking on the Rockets. Like, I genuinely am excited about their future, but I think it's – like this year has just really muddled it. And I, I think I had a lot of real reserves headed into the year reservations headed into the year about having this many young guys on the roster. Um, it's part of why I really wanted them at the trade deadline to be aggressive in trying to go out and get somebody like Kyle Lowry. If I think hey, you have to get somebody like Kyle Lowry to be committed to wanting to be in a place like Houston, but like point being like they need real guys who can be on the bench that are like, can come in, play real minutes, be stabilizing but also aren't there to be stars. Like that's, that's the stuff that they need. And I think that's part of their biggest issue is they have guys who, and this is not me trying to call it the role players, but like KJ Martin is a guy who wants to be a starter in the league. Like he's been very vocal about yeah. frustrations with minutes at times. Like it's been better this year, obviously, but when you have, again, when you have all these guys who are trying to figure out what they are in the league, who are trying to hit that next level, it's really hard to make things actually work together. Um, and like you hit on with the thing with Jabari, I think what's tough to me, I tweeted this out today and uh, I think some people got a little bit confused by it. And this is not me trying to say that I have like some massive inside knowledge, but I think it's pretty clear like Jabari and Alfie just do not mix whatsoever right now on the court. And I do have real questions about what it is off the court too, to be honest. Like I think I have never really seen uh, maybe and part of this is me not coming up with the nineties and early two thousands, but I'm not used to seeing a younger player like totally chew somebody out. Like, not that Alpi's like all that much older than Jabari, but like, we've had that caught on rim mics like 15 times this year. Jabari just like, yeah. Has some... I'm not, and I'm, I'm not meaning this... this to go at either of them. I'm just saying like, it, there, I mean, there was like the one game against New Orleans where they had to be held back from one another, if I remember correctly. I, um, I didn't think it was that bad for what we're it's not held back. I think like, it was, was like, yeah, it was calling more for him just... to get benched. Like, yeah. Point being, like, it just – it doesn't – it's – I'm not saying that it's, like, out on it at any stretch right now, but exactly like you're saying, like, I think this is – there needs to be new voices there saying new things, yes. getting new things going, figuring it out. And I do I, I do want to say on a positive note, too, like, it's so easy to look at how bad it is right now and be extremely dismal about what the future is, but also, like – I think this is the easiest spot to get out of. I think to to get from young team that is really struggling to I can't get any lower, Mark. Well, yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> that's the point. Like, okay, to go from young team that's struggling to be like young plucky team that has better vibes because they are able to you know change the locker room a little bit. Yeah, and change the voices I think like that. Yeah, that, I think it's it, the coaching staff. Like, yeah. I think as soon as you move from this coaching staff, it'll change. Um, let, let's talk about Jabari because I think that like this is the next thing I want to talk about. Basically Jabari Smith. I didn't expect him to shoot 22% over like a 30 game sample from three this season. Like we can talk about, like I didn't think Jabari was ready to come in and make like some incredible impact. He's still 19 years old. Like he's going to play this entire rookie season at 19 years old. He's incredibly young and he's a guy that doesn't handle the ball that well, doesn't make great passing reads yet. Part of the, 
calculus with Jabari Smith is that he is considerably younger than guys like Chet Holmgren and Paolo Bancaro, like six months younger than Paolo, I think a full year younger than Chet. So when you look at this, I think it's worth keeping in mind that he is just like younger in his basketball career than these guys on some level. Having said that, Jabari Smith was maybe the best six foot 10 plus shooter I think I've ever evaluated, like just straight up, uh, especially as a teen. Maybe let's say this as a teenager, he is the best six foot 10 up shooter I think I've ever evaluated. Do you have any problem with me saying that? No, I mean, I haven't been doing it for long enough to, to have a great opinion on it, but I'd agree. Like, from what yeah. I've seen, like, I mean, he was money last year. But I do want to say, too, like, part of what is so difficult in this, like, yes, I think the the catch-and-shoot stuff has been an issue this year, but, like, it's just they're not running stuff for him to get yeah. a shot off this year, which is – and he has really struggled adjusting to that. And this is exactly what I was trying to hit on earlier. Like, yeah, it – he is. I never viewed him last year as somebody who can you, you can just plug and play and be fine, because I think a lot of people see somebody run off a screen and like, oh, well, that's intuitive off ball movement. Like, no, it was all sets. Like he was having sets run for him last year. Like it wasn't just like Jabari find find your shot. Like he's not at that level yet. He hasn't gotten just getting yet. like getting like elbow touches, getting mid post yeah. touches, getting like you know he gets the ball on the wing, jab steps, elevates over somebody, right? Like these are the things that he can do. And like it, it, for now it just feels like he's in the corner. He's, you know, occasionally gets involved in like a ball screen opportunity, but not really all that often. It feels like he is just kind of being used as a floor spacer and as a spot up threat. And it is just, it, it, it is bizarre to me that he's being so shunted off to the side within their offense. Like, I would have thought that this could have been a really interesting scenario with him just getting an opportunity late in the season here to be able to maybe get some touches. Maybe Steven Silas being quoted in that Mark Spears bizarre article that was written where, you know, essentially Brian Windhorst refuted it today and his story about uh, the Oklahoma city going into the draft saying that they had uh two guys that they wanted. One was Chet Holmgren and one was Jalen Williams. Uh, it, you know, I, I think I said on a recent podcast that that was that story where Jabari Smith senior said to Mark Spears that the thunder had promised Jabari Smith to take him. Like that was, that was bizarre. That was, I, I have never seen that, but in that story, Steven Silas said like, I, yeah, I feel bad. I haven't run any plays for him yet. Yeah, that was kind of wild. Um, what are what are we doing here? It's true, like, but yeah, like I'm, exactly I'm not, like this. Like I'm not saying that like he's done some things to earn it necessarily. I he struggled. He's again he's shooting like 22 percent from three over his last little while. Like he's pretty harmful to them when he's out there. If I'm being completely real with it, right? But run some stuff for him. Sit him down. Say, look, Jabari, we know that you're struggling now. But you know what? This next game here, given that we're 13 and 47 and we suck anyway, we're going to try and run some stuff through you this next game. We're going to actually give you the ball on the wing. Feel free to like jab step or just like jab step, try and get your guy, you know, to fall back on his heels a little bit or take a pound dribble, rise up and shoot. 
if you take 15 shots in this game and look, Jabari takes, you know, double digit shots most games. Right. But actually run it for him as opposed to it being like, okay, you're kicking out here. Actually just like give him the confidence, sit him down and say, look, we're not playing well. We're out of the playoff picture. Our goal here is to get you going. Our goal here is like, we're still committed to you. We want you to be the best that you can be here. We know it's been hard this year. We just want to give you a game to let it rock. Right. And I I haven't seen them really do that, to be honest. And you're terrible. You're 13 and 47. Giving him a game to rock is not going to hurt. Just give him a chance, I guess. Like it's, it took them forever to give Shengun a chance. Like this little stretch here where Jalen Green and uh, Kevin Porter were out would have been like a perfect little opportunity to say, you know what, Jabari, we're going to let you rock. We're going to, we're going to go, you know, we know you're struggling right now. If you go four for 20 in this game, that's fine. But you know what? We want you to have the confidence to be able to do that. And they don't. And yeah. it, it, it eludes me. It completely will, eludes me in the way that this team is run. Yeah. One thing I do want to say, though, I, uh, I have been encouraged uh, by some of the defensive growth from him. Um, I wasn't like the highest on him as a potential rim protector in the league. Um, I don't love how much they've judded him into being a small ball five. Like, I still don't think that that's really going to be his bread and butter in the NBA. But I have genuinely been like pretty encouraged by some of the growth we've seen from him playing, you know, more as a, as a backline defender. Um, Cause it looked really rough early on in the year. I think it's been better lately. Um, again, still overall rough for the team context, but um, yeah, I agree. It's just like, I, that's, that, that's part of the issue of having so many guys that you're trying to develop because you can't develop them all at the same time, at least not to their highest outcomes. And when your number three pick is being, you know, again, shut it off to the side, kind of like we just mentioned, like, it's like, all right, well, what are we doing here? Yeah, it drives me nuts. It absolutely drives me nuts. And it just feels like a different standard for Shangun. It really does. Like if I was a Rockets fan, I would be furious about that. Like it, Shangun has shown more than both Jalen Green and Jabari Smith this year. And it just really feels like the standard is different for him. Uh, you know, Jalen Green has been a very lackadaisical, inattentive defender this season and plays so much. And then they'll pull Shengun for, you know, often doing the same thing. And it's, you know, shengun has been better than Jalen this year. So I, I just don't get it. I guess that's where I'm at here. I don't get what they're going for with yeah. this right now. Yeah, it's weird. Um, it's just very weird. Okay. Do you have anything else to say on the – like here – so let's close on this with Jabari Smith. Like I think he's going to be fine long term. I do. Like he is a good – he is a good shooter. Like I refuse to believe that Jabari Smith has completely forgotten how to shoot. If he has completely forgotten how to shoot, that is something that will make me think about Oh, wait, is the draft a crapshoot? <laughs> like we talked about earlier how we don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. If Jabari Smith, like between last year going from being like this incredible, unbelievable shooter and like all throughout his high school career being this incredible, unbelievable shooter to not being able to shoot at any point in his NBA career, it will dumbfound me. I yeah. will not ever understand how that happened. Uh I just, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, that would be kind of wild. I agree. 
Yeah. And it'd be completely insane to me for that yeah. to happen. Uh, I, I don't think it will. I think he will shoot. I think he will shoot at some point. May, maybe we're in the middle of, you know, as Swaggy D says in the comments, maybe we're in the middle of a Jabari Smith rookie wall. And the problem is that he was just starting from such a low point, <laughs> like to mm-hmm. be respectful it, that once the rookie wall hit, it's just like really fucking tagged. Right. I don't yeah. know, man. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. Uh, the Rockets are a bummer. I enjoy watching. No, I don't. I don't enjoy watching them. I'm not going to try and say that. Uh, I enjoy the talent on this roster, and I hope it is better utilized next season is maybe the way I will phrase that. Okay. Let's go to the 2023 NBA draft. And before we get into the guy that I want to spend most of our time talking about, we have a question here from Evan Glansman in the YouTube comments. Can you touch on Jalen hood Shafino during the 2023 NBA draft? portion if the thompson twins don't pan out i could see him being the best guard after scoot mark schindler how do you feel about that take i can't get there right now um i like jalen hushfino uh he's somebody i've always been interested by going back to his montverde tape um i think he's done really good and interesting things this year but i think it's been more uh improving on his strengths uh from where he was at as a as a high school prospect for me than necessarily getting a ton better as a I mean he's he's definitely improved as an NBA draft prospect in my eyes he was not a one and done guy for me at all he's at least made me think about it this year I still am not there yet I don't really trust the three I know he's been taking it more um I I want to see a lot more from that and I think he's somebody like we were talking about this before we got on camera but like he's somebody I think about with if he stays for another year we're talking more lottery pick next year, potentially, if he continues to make some growths and continuing on the trajectory he's on. Um, but I think he would be much more like sneaking into the back of the first right now, unless some things like really go his way in uh, in the combine and as things close out in the tournament. Um, but I don't know how you feel about him right now. Like I, I, I like again. Like there are things to be generally very encouraged by, but I still am just based on trajectory. I'm like, uh, I, I kind of want to see more moving forward. Still, okay. I disagree with you to an extent. Okay. I have him in the top twenty right now, and the reason for that is actually kind of similar to what we talked about with Drew Holiday. Jalen Hutchfino is an absolute killer on defense like that dude at the point of attack being six foot six being able to slide to stay in front of guys really really good his team defense is like a little bit worse i was talking to an nba scout on monday or tuesday monday it would have been and we kind of talked about how we were a little bit disappointed with his team defense against purdue but generally we think he's been pretty good and i think he's been pretty good as a team defender this year uh you add the positive defense with the fact that he's six foot six and has real size and strength and quickness. He's going to be switchable one through three, I think, pretty easily. Maybe can get down to fours. I don't think I would project that at this point, yeah. but it's not impossible. Especially because I think um, he's more six five than six six. I think he'll probably end up being there around. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I would venture he's going to be like six five and a half. I agree with you. Um, The thing is, though, that you have this real burgeoning skill as a pull-up weapon. Right now, it's from the mid-range. If he can extend that back to the three-point line, and I think there's enough touch to where there is a real ceiling there, and he has 
good passing ability. I think that he has the ability to execute passing reads, uh, one-handed, like live dribble whip passes to both corners uh, with both hands. He has really big hands, it looks like, that allow him to be able to do that. I do think that this is kind of the archetype that we're talking about in terms of someone that can be very successful playing off of high level, like superstars in the NBA, right? This is kind of the Drew Holiday archetype, not to say that he is as good or as talented as Drew, but this is kind of that archetype, right, Mark? Yeah, I think again, and this is not me trying to be too low. I'm probably just a little bit lower on the shooting right now. Like the, again, I agree with you. The mid range stuff is legit. It's very real. Um, I just have more questions about like, he's just never really been a shooter before now. And even then, like, I still think it's like the outside shot. I feel more questionable on. It's been like the, the pull-up stuff has been interesting. So let's, let's dig into that really quickly. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I like about the pull-up stuff is particularly that he can realign himself in midair and like he can plant with either foot, essentially he can play it left foot in front, right foot in front, can get his body realigned. He has a lot of different versatility in terms of the pull-up shot. The shot prep off the catch, I think, is just horrible right mm. now. I don't really know that it's a touch issue. I think it's more of a he has really, really bad shot prep and doesn't really get full weight transfer from his lower half enough. Uh, where do you fall on like the actual problems with his shooting? Yeah, I think that's what I'd agree with. He's just much more comfortable off the catch right now. I mean, not off the catch, off off the dribble right now. And I think that's yeah. part of like he really has not been a massive off ball threat at Indiana, even with what his numbers imply right, right now. And he doesn't always get guarded like it either. And I think part of what like if he were a better athlete, like he's a he's a really good strength athlete. But again, when you're talking about somebody six five, six six, like I do, like he has had some around the rim issues this year. It's been better than it was in high school, but. Oh, I think he has no chance to be like a high pressure rim player. At the exactly. End which is why I, yeah. I think that's why I almost would probably lean towards, I'd rather see him go back to school and work on having some of the shot stuff because I don't think he's going to be a year one impact guy in the NBA. Um, so I, I, I could be wrong. I, I want to do a deeper dive into him, um, but that's just based on my watching Indiana this year. That's where I would be at with him right now. Like I still would consider him probably like a top 30, top 40 prospect pretty comfortably without question right now. But it's just more, I think for him, he might get a lot more value out of going back next year. Okay. So let's dig into this a little bit further by comparing him to someone. Why is he a worse prospect than Jet Howard? Oh, I'm not saying he's a worse prospect. I think based on... Um, well, I mean, I, I would probably consider him a worse prospect based on what yeah, I, and this is a genuine question. Like I'm not like, you know, leading you into something. Well, I, 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 that, a, I would yeah. just, I think Jets so much better as a shooter, obviously. Like I think that Agreed. was saying yeah. is bigger. Um, I see his role a lot cleaner as a transition to the NBA, just being a secondary wing. Like obviously the defense, yep. of course, questions about that, but I think I can see him contributing to an NBA offense. Like, from day one, like there's a role that I can see with that making sense. I just think with Jalen, like considering right now. Okay, so who is who is or what side of this is worse? Do you think Jalen's offense is worse or Jets' defense is worse? It's not even that Jalen's offense is worse. I just think it's so much harder for that to translate for me. Like he's a guy who has to. No, I, I right yeah, I don't disagree. Matter. Yeah, um, which I just think that that's harder to see because. Uh, 
I don't know. I think it's more likely that Jalen Hudshafino learns how to like get his shot prep in order uh, over the course of the summer and spring than it is that Jet Howard becomes a good defender uh, in the next three years or two years even. Yeah. Um, I'm probably not quite at that. Like, I think like I am again, I have my reservations about just defense moving forward, but I don't know if I would see Jalen become that good of a shooter that quickly. Um, I think it's, I think both are unlikely. Don't get me wrong, but I think that I would trust Jalen more at this point Uh, in terms of like learning to shoot as opposed to jet learning to defend. I, I just worry. Who do you think plays bigger is a real question. I think Jalen plays bigger than he does. I know that Jet is six foot eight, and I think Jet shoots bigger than Jalen does. Like Jet uses his size to elevate more as a shooter and get shots up over the top of defenders. But defensively, I think Jalen plays way bigger. Like Jalen's like way more aggressive in covering switches, and Jalen is uh, a way better on ball defender. Uses his length a little bit more effectively. Like they play their size works itself out in different ways on the court, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think to me, like Jet Howard, if he's playing the four, quote unquote, like I think I can look at that and be like, okay, well, that's that's a lot for a defense to, to solve. Like obviously, again, like I'm not taking away that the defense is a concern, but like I think for me, it's just easy to look at Jalen and be like, I can see how this can be a problem on offense. Uh, and again, like it, exactly what you're saying, I think it's a two-way street, but with – with how comfortable I am with where Jet is as a shooter and a guy who can like yeah. make secondary plays, I just think I trust that a little bit more right now. So I, I have them very close. I have Jet one slot ahead of Jalen. Mm. So um, I, I would slightly lean Jet right now. I'm not sure I'm going to come down on that, but that's a thing I've been considering recently because I, I think that Jet is a much better shooter than Jalen. Like I know that the percentages probably say that Jalen's is higher. Jet's a much better shooter than Jalen Hudshafino is. But <laughs> I think Jalen is better at literally everything else on a basketball court. <laughs> he's a better defender. He's a better passer. Uh, he's a better ball handler, like has more athleticism. Like, I think that he's just better at everything else. Is it how important is shooting? Shooting's incredibly important for a secondary player, but is Jalen's shot so broken that it overwhelms all of that? And I just don't think it is. Yeah, I don't know. It's something I definitely need to think about more. Because, um, like, exactly what you're saying. Like, I still think, like, I'm comfortable with him going in the first round this year. I just, he's one of the guys that makes me think, like, okay, if he came back next year and that shot is better, like, because I, like, it's not even about money. It's more like having more yeah, reason for a team to be bought into you. You know, like, I think that, because again, like, all right, well, let's just put it like this. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to be unfair, but it's like, think of it like if Jalen's shot is just totally gone next year. Like, if he's shooting 30%, 31% from three, like, how comfortable are teams going to be to um, to allow him to carry usage and do stuff? Like, I, I don't know. I just think it's going to be – like, if Herb Jones has this year instead of his rookie year, obviously you feel different oh, about it. Like, And I'm, Herb, I'm not – no, I'm not – So much more broken from shooting. No, yeah, I know, but I'm just saying, like, okay, if you – it's – if you have the, the bad year before the good year, like, that's that's tough. I don't know. It's a good question. It's a really good question because, I mean, he's done so much that makes you want to, to be bought in on what this is. I just wonder, like, okay, if Jalen Hoshifino is shooting 38% on pull-up twos instead of what he is right now, like, 
it's a different equation. Um, and and, I, and I all of this, oh, well, ahead. all of this is why he's been so inconsistent this year too, yeah. right? Like it's so reliant on if that mid-range jumper is falling, if the mid-range jumper is not falling, he's pretty ineffectual as a scorer, right? Yeah. So what you're saying 100% lines up, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think he's going to declare and go in the first if you made me bet. Yeah. I'm not, I, that comes from no inside knowledge of what he's doing. I'm just saying like the way this is going, it feels like he's going to declare and go in the first. Yeah, um, no, I agree. and I, I will, I will almost certainly end up with him as the top twenty guy. Uh, I would be surprised if I didn't. Okay, let's talk about Derek Lively now. Cool. What have you thought about Derek Lively? He's better, um, and that re- <laughs> <laughs> that's reflected in Duke actually playing him more. Like, I mean, he was playing yeah. like 10, 12 minutes a game early on in the year, and um, I think the biggest thing for me, a he just – he's so massive in watching him play. It feels like the exact – not the exact same, but, like, very similar to watching Mark Williams play and just, like, the holy shit, you have to account so much for this dude on the defensive end. Yeah. Um, All year, like, they've played zone so much this year because of what their issues have been in playing any kind of pick-and-roll coverage uh, from any position on the court. And, like, I think uh, – through, I mean, f- since the beginning of the year, you've been able to feel that from Derek. And, like, I mean, he was leading the league in the – the like, the – he was leading the ACC in block shots while playing like 16 minutes per game still like that. He's been incredibly impactful around the rim, especially when he doesn't have to be playing in a pick and roll coverage. If he can just drop back and like hang around the restricted area, he's set. What's been really cool to see is that he's been a lot better with angles and his footwork in general over the last month. Cause even if yeah. you, if you go all the way back to uh, like the first game that they played against Miami, like Nigel Pack and Isaiah Wong. Isaiah Wong didn't have a good game, but Nigel Pack got into the paint routinely Ooh. against him, and he really yeah. struggled. And Duke still won that game, but he ended up getting benched late. He didn't really play much in the second half. Um, and then you look in where they're at over the last month of him, uh, like even just watching the Virginia Tech game. Like I think part of it is cool because they've been good at employing him on guys where he doesn't have to close out, you know, where he can kind yeah. of sag off and just hang out around the rim. Um, so I do think like against teams like, like playing against the Miami that had, like they were playing Jordan Miller at the five, a bunch, and he was having trouble with having to close out to a pop thread and having to play a little bit farther out. But again, where he's at now, like he's just been better being able to play out in space, move the right way and just be huge and be a deterrent. Um, so that's been a blast to watch from him. Uh, what do you feel about him offensively? Cause I think that's where, yeah. Let me focus on the defense first. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I think my hottest college basketball awards take right now is if you only consider ACC in-conference play for ACC Defensive Player of the Year, I think he is in a two-person race with Leaky Black, maybe a three-person race with Leaky Black and Reese Beekman. Uh, he is... I think on a permanent basis, the most impactful defender in the ACC right now. I don't really think it's all that close either. Uh, Like even having this game against NC State on in the background right now, like the minutes that he's playing in this game are by far like the most, like he, he is shutting them down. Like NC State is a team that scores points. They just had like 29 points in the first half right? Like 
This is not a normal defensive player. This is a crazy good defensive player within that league. His drop, uh, like mechanics and his footwork in drop, as you mentioned, they have gotten just insanely better. Like it's just not even comparable to what it was early in the season. They, he has been like really, really impactful just in terms of bringing guys into him, letting guys come into his chest. And he's gotten better at playing without fouling just enough to where, while there are some silly fouls from time to time where his arms come down, he is consistently just like in elite presence that shuts off the paint when he is in games. And his help rotations have been really on point when he has been in games. There's just not really like he, he is everything that we thought he was coming into the season right now. I think in terms of his ability to defend in drop coverage scenarios, Uh, it took him a long time to get there. He did have, I believe a calf injury throughout the first part of the season that he was kind of working with. But like right now, he he's everything that we thought on defense, right? Yeah, I I'll be completely honest. I was not super high on Derek coming into the year. Like I was more borderline yeah. lottery than where I think a lot of people were. So, at so was I for what it's um, worth. I, okay, I had cool. him I wasn't like sure. at fourteen um, or so. Yeah, yeah, then we were around the same area. Like that's where I felt about him. I thought the flashes were always really fun. I never felt it was super consistent. But now, like yeah, exactly like you're mentioning. I think he's still pretty raw in some of the things that he does defensively. But he's so good at what he does do really well that it. I mean. That's it. I'm, I'm incredibly invested in what he can be moving forward. Um, Cause like you mentioned, like he's just gotten better at like not being as jumpy, like uh, you know, like, cause especially early on in the year, he was struggling with that a lot. I still think his body control is going to be a work in progress. Like that's something Mark Williams yeah. had down way more Pat than Derek right now. I don't know what his growth trajectory was like. Cause I didn't see him until last year for the first time. Um, but I mean, agreed. Like he's, I, I think, What's fun too is like, I think there's even more room for him to get better technically. Like he's not really great at just doing straight verticality right now. Like he tries to block everything. And that's one of the things that you see guys really improve on in the league in their first two to three years as a big. So to me, I look at that and I'm like, okay, well that's even more in terms of being excited about what you can continue to get better at. Again, continuing to improve the footwork and angles. And like, that's incredibly exciting to think about and what he can be as an interior defender and just defender overall. Well, and I just want to give some numbers here for context per pivot analysis uh, in ACC play right now, when Derek Lively is on the court, opponents shoot 46.7% at the rim. It's not great. Uh, Yeah. When he is off the court, opponents shoot 53.3% at the rim. Like the difference is enormous for Duke. Like he is an absolute monster on defense right now i am i am a big fan of what i've seen from him defensively you you asked what the offensive role is i i think it's become a little bit more clear with tyrese proctor playing better that he can be just like a little bit more of a straight rim runner like he can set ball screens and go i don't think he's a very good screener right now unfortunately yeah which makes it a little bit more difficult (laughs) everything yeah every everything is a slip everything is just like i'm gonna stop screening early even before like we get to the mesh point like forget even slipping like it's you know maybe even tyrese like rejecting a screen but like lively's gonna go early almost every time it feels like and it it, 
it takes advantage of his speed where he can cover ground a little bit more quickly, but also he's going to have to improve as a screener if this is going to be the role. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, my bear, like I actually feel that he has some pretty good tape on just not, not that I think he's like an elite processor or anything, but I think he's pretty good at just making, you know, one pass away reads on, on the roll. If he catches the ball, okay, kick to the corner. Cause it's open. Like, I think he's been fine at that. Even if like, okay, if, if they're not Xing out, then I kick it to the slot. Like it, I think there's stuff there that I've been intrigued by my bigger question. Like, I think he's not super coordinated with the ball right now around the rim, which has been a problem for him. Like he gets blocked and granted he gets fouled quite a bit, but I think it is kind of an issue of like how much he can struggle to just put the ball up around the rim at times. Like he's only, yeah. it, it it's unfair to just be like, oh, he's only taking three and a half field goal attempts a game. Part of it is like the the guards he's working with have not been great. Like I don't think that like like you mentioned, Proctor's been better, but Jeremy Roach has been a little bit underwhelming as a passer this year. Um, like I was hoping for a little bit more growth there. I think he's still been a good player for, for what it's worth. But like in terms of that, I haven't been super um, impressed. But he also drops a lot of balls. Like he's kind of struggled with yes. catching passes at times. Honestly, like I feel like his best pass partner this year has been him and Flip. Like I think Phil Phil Pasky and he have been at their best yeah. playing two man game together. But that also again is speaking to where Derek is at as a player right now. Like he very much is like he has to rim run or be hanging out in the dunker spot. And that's not saying that there's not use in that because I think I've really learned my lesson from Walker Kessler. Um, <laughs> like. Walker catches everything though. Well, yeah, no, exactly. But I just mean like, like in terms of being low on this archetype, like that there's yeah, like, and not that even I was even that low on him. Like there could have been a lot lower, but like point being like, I don't want to just be like, well, what's his role? Like, I think this is a guy that I think like, I would love to see him on the Miami heat. That, that was my immediate thought. Cause that's a team that's going to play a lot of zone. That's not just going to force feed him. Hey, play drop 11 million times a game. Why, um, why do you keep saying that Duke plays zone? I feel like I have not seen them play. I feel like I've seen Duke, Duke play zone quite a bit this year. It's like a, it, you know, just synergy, synergy's numbers in terms of zone are like a little bit wonky, but like it has them playing zone like 5% of the time this year. Um, it may have just been one of the games that are caught. Cause in that Miami yeah. game, like they struggled a ton against Miami. So I, oh like, yeah, like yeah. they kind of, they kind of went for it there. But like, yeah. I, I do think that, you know, their, their man can sometimes like they play lively in the middle of the court, like so much, like it is such a heavy drop that I think that a lot of the times, like it can look a bit, you know, like he is zoning, you know, a decent amount in yeah. like most bigs in the ACC can't shoot. Like, let's be clear about that too. So it helps that he can just kind of camp out in the paint. He is just camping out in the paint. And I think that your idea about a zone is not, not wrong. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that that makes sense in terms of a fit for him. Yeah. Uh, the thing that worries me most on Derek Lively right now, do you know what he's shooting on layups this year, according to Synergy? I'm sure it's pretty terrible because he dunks everything and everything else is a layup. So it, it would be shooting a lot worse than 70% on twos like he is right now. Derek Lively has taken 20 layups this year. I, I would like you to guess what the number is in terms of layups. Has he hit eight of them? Uh, that is actually fuck. That's exactly right. He's hit eight. Oh, of them. oh God yeah. damn it, Mark! I know that it was forty percent. <laughs> uh, that that is forty percent. Uh, yeah. in terms of field goal percentage, do you know what that ranks? Uh, nationally, probably pretty bad. <laughs> so there are two thousand nine hundred and eleven players. It looks like 
Looks like this is just Division One, right? Let's see here. Maybe, yeah, this is just Division One. So 2,911 players that have taken at least 20 layups this season. Derek Lively is something like 2,780th in uh, layups right yeah. now. Yeah. Exactly. And I think bad. that that kind of speaks but, to the by the way, he's he's seven foot one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that again, like I think that speaks to the coordination a little bit, like I was mentioning. Like I think just yeah. if he's able to catch the ball with a step towards the rim, I think he's been okay. But again, that's largely because bring the ball up and dunk and he's not really getting like there's not somebody right in his grill. But if he like post ups have been a nightmare, like they don't even look for him for post ups. Um well, they shouldn't. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, exactly. They shouldn't, but I think they they learned early on. They're like, hey, this is not going to work. Um, but that, I mean, obviously that's something that really needs to become not a problem because otherwise we're going to see, you know, a lot of uh, – the NBA is going to get creative and finding ways to make him not an offensive threat. Um, so, but yeah, again, like with where he's at right now, it's uh, it's been encouraging to see the growth for sure. Where would you take Derek Lively in this draft? Uh, Like back into the first. Yeah, that's where I have him. I have them like 23, 24, something mm-hmm. like that. Like, like I, I would take Julian Phillips. Like if I'm going defense first archetype, I would take Julian Phillips over. And I love Julian Phillips too. He's a guy like we got to talk about him at some point because yeah. the defense has been sick this year. I get some my, like <laughs> my hot take on Julian Phillips. I kind of tweeted it earlier. What do you I think he should have been a finalist. I think he should have been a finalist for national defense player of the year. Really? I could, I, I kind of see it. He's been, he's honestly been their best defender on like, the best defense in the country. That's um, why he's been like, their best defender, and he is, they are yeah. the best defense in the country. And like, all my Zakai Ziegler is a finalist for yeah. that award. Come on now, and and yeah, well, hey, no no hate to our to our New York King, but I uh, I love uh, I love Phillips because I think a lot of his shot questions that I have are more just strengthening his legs. Um, yeah, but, my, my take is not even strengthening. It's different shot prep. I would just, he has like a bit of a square shot prep right now where sometimes like his left leg goes like flying forward a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would just turn him. Like I, I would align his elbow more with the rim and like turn his feet a little bit. And I think that if you look at his high school tape, whatever he did it in between his high school, like his last year of AAU and his first year here at Tennessee, he adjusted his shot prep to square off a little bit more. And I think it could be a thing similarly in terms of what you're talking about where he did it to engage his legs a little bit more. But I think that if you just like kind of turn him a little bit, it fixes his alignment and it fixes like some of the stuff that you see with him where like his, his knees will go this way. His ass will go like this way. And it's just like, wait, what did you do here? Because, like, he could shoot in high school. Yeah. Well, part of what's been fun about him, too, this year, too, like, I think my biggest qualms I had with him at Link were that he just kind of floated at times. Yeah. And it's been the opposite this year. Like, he's been so aggressive in finding ways to insert himself in the offense. And, like, to me, like, all right, I'm I'm pretty bought in on that. Now, obviously, you know, not to make this a whole Julian Phillips episode, but I think, like, he's one of the guys I'm much more interested in and what that can be this year for sure. No, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Julian Phillips at a later date, but for now we've gone an hour and 40 minutes. Mark, we always do. We uh, always find a way. 
Before we go, have you watched any fun movies recently? Have I watched any fun movies recently? I don't think I've actually seen anything since we talked on Thursday. Um, I've been really yeah. busy the last however long. So um, I obviously watched the newest Last of Us. Um, goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> Wanted to cry. It, um, it just yeah. continues to rip your heart out every single episode. It's crazy. This is a video game adaptation that just completely rips your heart out every single time you watch an episode. Yes. So, but no, I don't, I don't have it. I don't think that I've done, um, that I've watched anything else that, um, yeah. Hit on. yeah, I watched, uh, the man from nowhere, uh, which is a, an old Korean movie. Laura and I, as people may have seen on my letterbox account, we have been rolling through some Korean movies because let's just be honest. Korean cinema does fucked up gory, like wild shit better than any, any other film industry in the world uh, in terms of these weird thrillers between like Park Chan-wook and movies like I Saw the Devil, which I didn't really like, but is considered a classic of the genre. Even uh, Bong Joon-ho occasionally dives into this world. Uh, and then The Man from Nowhere is another example from this. The Man from Nowhere is very clearly a movie that John Wick took some things from. <laughs> I cannot wait for John Wick Four. By the way, um, yes. it's going to be a blast. There's it's there's got, so many movies coming out that I want to see. Yeah, it's kind of why we watched it because like it is considered something that like John Wick is basically like if you took the Man from Nowhere and you instead of using the action from that movie, which I think is honestly like I don't know that that movie's particularly well directed. I think that one's all about script. You take like a lot of the writing elements that work from the man from nowhere and you put in the raid action sequences in terms of like elite level choreography, elite level camera work, camera movement, editing, everything like that. You get John wick and it's a glorious, glorious franchise that I hope never ends. Yeah. It's pretty awesome stuff. Yeah. It's just the best. Okay. Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Yeah, you right. can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. Um, I have a Patreon that is in my uh, header. That, and if you enjoy my work, I would appreciate it greatly. I'm hopefully getting you know closer and closer to um, making this full-time. Obviously, do it full-time. Um, but yeah, uh, should have tons of stuff coming out moving forward. So be excited. Mark is the best. Go follow all of his work. I will have a top 100 board before the next episode, if you made me guess, I believe that'll be coming on Thursday morning. I just have to write the copy for it. I actually have rankings right now, finally. For All the right. First time in a few months. I'm excited. It's really good. Uh, I think that's all I've got, though. Until next time, we will talk soon. Bye.